All right, well, good morning, church. So, this morning we're starting Genesis chapter 29. Jacob marries. Some of this may seem familiar. If we rewind back to Genesis chapter 24, if you remember, Abraham sent his servant, Eliezer, um, to Haran to find a wife for his son, Isaac. His servant went on this exact 500-mile journey that Jacob is on right now, and the servant came to the same household, and the servant ended up at the same well that Jacob will arrive at today. And the servant found Rebekah, Laban's sister, and now... All these years later, and it's probably been 80 to 90 years since the servant went there and found uh, Rebecca, uh, because Isaac was 40 when he married Rebecca, and they were 60 when Jacob and Esau were born, and Isaac was 75 when Abraham passed away, and Jacob and Esau were 40 years old at the end of chapter 26, right, which would have made Isaac 100. So right there you have 60 years just right there since uh, the servant had gone to get the a bride for Isaac. Uh, so it's probably, you know, given the time it's passed in between them, it's probably been, could be easily 80 to 90 years. Anyway, that doesn't really matter. You know, but anyway, uh, so now Jacob, Rebecca's son, is going to arrive in Haran as well. And just one of those things that we don't really think of that, we should be aware of just because the th- Jacob is s- probably 70 years old, right? He's not like this young college kid. He's probably like 70 years old at this point. All right, so we're going to read Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read verses 1 through 30. It says, then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it, for out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we are from Haran. And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, we know him. And he said, is it well with him? And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. And he said, behold, it is still high day. Is it not time for the livestock to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go, pasture them? But they said, we cannot until all the flock are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came from her father's sheep with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. And then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud, and Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and she ran and told her father. And as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Verse 15. And then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? 
Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. And then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I might go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went in to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Lord, uh, that your word encourages, that your spirit speak to us, that you just draw us closer to you, and that we can learn a truth from these passages, a truth from your word, a truth that will apply to our lives right where we are right now, and help us, Lord, draw closer to you. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know you have questions. Anybody who reads this passage immediately has questions. And the first question that they have when they read this passage is really simple. How did Jacob not know? Right? How did Jacob not know? Well, we're going to get to that. I'm just not going to tell you right now. First things first. I want to point out a change in the character of Jacob. Jacob is heading into the lion's den, so to speak. I say that, and I'm not sure if you've thought of it this way. Honestly, this, this isn't even in my notes. This is just something that, when I was taking a shower this morning, popped into my head. When you're, uh, when you're teaching and when you're doing messages and sermons, if you ever get in a position to do this, if this is the way the Lord leads you, you'll find that when you're preparing, um, you never stop. You, you think you've done, you've written it, you've, you have to actually stop and physically quit, but you're never actually done. So, you know, weeks from now, I will still get things probably concerning this passage, and I'll be like, man, I should have said that, right? But that's just the way it goes. So I was thinking about this morning, Jacob is heading into the lion's den, okay? Now, why do I say he's heading into the lion's den? Well, we already kind of know the character of Laban. We learned about that back when Abraham's servant went here to find a, a wife for Isaac. And Laban was very interested in the servant. Why? Because of the, the jewels and the, and the wealth and the gifts that he gave Rebekah. And he saw that and he was like, hey, 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 right? That's my, my fat Albert impersonation. Hey, 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 he said, come on in, right, to the house. Come hang out with us, right? We got room for you. Come on. And so Laban's already this character that's enticed by greed. We already know he's, he's not a, a great upstanding character. Well, we also already know from Abraham's past that, you know, this is, in a sense, his homeland to a certain degree. A lot of his, his brother, Abraham's brother, settled here, and their families is in this area. And we know that Abraham came from 
pagan upbringings. And so his family is, is not a God-fearing family, not this side of the family. This side of the family, as you're going to find as we go through these passages, you're going to find that Laban uh, worships pagan gods. Right? So they, 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 they're not a God-fearing family. They worship pagan gods. And all this that's life that Jacob was raised up in, right? Remember the old pictures we have of J- Jacob up to now? The two different... Um, it, you know, uh, things we see where he tricked his brother, you know, about his birthright. He stole his brother's birthright. And then he deceives his father into thinking he's Esau to get the blessing, right? Those are the two pictures we have of Jacob. And, and we're like, well, you know, there's all this deception and trickery in the family. Where did it come from? Well, if you want to know where it came from, it came from right where he's heading, right? The, the roots of this deception run strong and deep right back to Haran. They come from, you know, not to pick on Rebekah, but they come from Rebekah's side of the family more than they come from Abraham's side of the family because of her pagan upbringings, because this is how her family operated. This is how Laban operated. This is how Laban's mother operated. If you remember back when the servant was there, who was it that tried to stop uh, the servant leaving with Rebecca? Oh, stay with us a little longer. Don't leave just yet. That was Laban and his mother. So, so the roots of all this deception, the seeds that were planted in Rebecca's life that came to fruition later in, in the marriage of Rebecca and Isaac and affected her sons, Jacob and Esau, where does that come from? That comes from her family. And so where is Jacob headed? Right back to her family. So he's headed back into the lion's den, so to speak, if I can borrow that analogy. Right? But yet God has a purpose for it. God has a purpose for him going back there and being there. It's probably not what, again, not what Jacob wanted. He's, he's not thinking, uh, i got to be on my guard. i got to watch myself. They're going to try and trick me or deceive me. He's not thinking anything like that. He's thinking, Esau's going to kill me, right? and I have to get to my family where I can be safe. But this whole thing would have, could have had a completely different uh, ending to it. Could have had a change completely differently if Jacob had never encountered God. If Jacob hadn't encountered God at Bethel, you can imagine what might have happened when this scenario plays itself out and Jacob didn't know God. What would his reaction have been? How would he have reacted to Laban right, if God hadn't come to him first and told him, listen, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to see you through what you're going to be going through. I'm with you. I'm going to see you. And I'm going to see you back to your homeland. And I want you to notice this change in character with Jacob before we go because it affects how he responds to Laban. I mean, yes, the, the deceiver is going to be deceived, but he, he responds to Laban differently than he probably would have had he not met with God in such a way that it changed his life. Now, if you remember last week, we, it started with a very simple phrase, and this week it starts with pretty much almost the exact same phrase, which is, Jacob went. So last week, he went, right? He was heading to, towards Haran, but he, he only gets about 70 miles and he stops at Bethel and that's where he meets God. And I told you that word for went, uh, that word 
which was, uh, what was it? It was yalak. It, it means to go, it means to walk, but it also has this idea of going to die. So it gives you this picture of Jacob's attitude, his mental state, as it were, as he was leaving and fleeing for his life from Esau. He was really discouraged. He was really depressed. He was defeated. And he was just like, I'm going to die. Right? I'm going to die. Life is over. Yet he meets God. And now after that experience with God, now after that he realized, holy cow, right? Surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. God's real. He's not just the God of my father. He's be my God too. Right? Now, Jacob, it says, Jacob went. Right? In verse 1, Jacob went on his journey. Well, this is not the same Hebrew word. It's the same English word. It's not the same Hebrew word. Right? This word, this word is compared to what we read last week, is the word Nassau. And it means to be carried off. It means to be swept away. It means to be lifted up. So when Jacob leaves Bethel to head to Haran, he leaves, he picks up his feet. That's the idea. He sort of was dragging his feet as he came in to Bethel. He picks up his feet when he's leaving Bethel, which means he's, he is being lifted up and taken away out of Bethel. And it's a completely different picture of how he came into Bethel. Why? Because now God is with him. Right? Now God is with him. And so the next 430 miles, we don't get any... It's, a, it's one verse. Nothing exciting must have happened. Or else he was just instantly transported to Haran by God. But, you know, God lifted him up and he took those next 430 miles, like, you know, on the wings, right, of the Lord. He was like, I'm heading to my family. He doesn't know what's in store for him, but he's encouraged and lifted up now that he's met God. He's no longer thinking, I'm going to die. He's thinking, the Lord's with me. Right? And he comes in, and he sees this well in the field that we see in verse 2, where the shepherds are, are watering their flocks, and they're actually waiting for Rebecca to show up. It's, it was common for women to be shepherds. Something, oh, what? Wait, a woman shepherd? No, it was common. There were shepherdesses, and there still are today women shepherds over in that area. This, it's still a common thing. But they're waiting for her to show up. They want all the flocks to be there before they open the well. And it would take like two or three guys to open the well. It, was a, it wasn't a lightweight stone that you had to move. So they're actually waiting for Rebecca to show up. But, but Jacob comes in, and, and what are the odds? Okay, What are the odds of Jacob arriving? He doesn't know where he's going. Arriving... Not at his father's home, you know, in his father's homeland, his grandfather's homeland, at the same well that Isaac probably met Rebecca at, right? And just so happens, just like how when the servant arrived there, uh, Rebecca came out not too long after he got there, right? And now he gets there, and Rachel comes out not too long after he gets there. What are the odds that it plays out almost identical? What are the odds? Right? I mean, the Lord guided him here, providentially, to this exact spot. I mean, to, the, to his exact time to be there. I mean, what are the odds? Just about the same as winning the lotto, right? 
eaten by a shark in your living room? What are the odds of coming to the well at this exact time, in this exact place? I mean, in 2011, here's some uh, analogies or whatever you want to call them, right? We'll go to sports, right? We'll go to sports. 2011, the St. Louis Cardinals were four and a half games back in the wild card race with 15 games to play, and Las Vegas odds makers gave them 500 to 1 odds to win the National League and 999 to 1 odds to win the World Series. Right? The odds were against them. If you were to bet on the Cardinals, you would have walked away with a lot of money because they came back and they won it all that year. Right? They defied the odds. Right? The St. Louis Rams, when they won Super Bowl 34, they did so against 300 to 1 odds. No one expected them to win the Super Bowl that year. But they had Kurt Warner. That's a great movie if you haven't watched it. I can't remember what the title of the movie is, but it was a, it was a good movie. Right? It helped him win the Super Bowl. He became Super Bowl MVP. He defied the odds. What were the odds? 300 to 1. It, I mean, that, those odds paid off for some lucky people who would die hard. Rams, that's the only time they've won the Super Bowl. Well, the odds were greatly against Jacob, arriving at the exact place and the exact time that he needed to arrive. They were against him. It was a statistical improbability for Jacob to show up at this place at this time exactly right when he needed to be there. That was a statistical improbability. But God, right? God led him there just like God led him to Bethel. And God brought him here right when God wanted him to be here. Right when Laban's daughter, Rachel, happens to be you know, tending to her flock and she comes wandering into the picture. Right? It didn't happen by accident, is my point. It didn't happen by accident. The Lord set it up. He was right where he needed to be at the exact time he needed to be there. God led him there. And it would seem that soon as Jacob laid his eyes on Rachel, he was in love. Right? It was love at first sight. He saw Rachel coming. He comes up to the guys and he's like, hey, where am I? Because he doesn't know where he is. And they're like, you're in Haran. He's like, hey, that's where I'm supposed to be. Hey, you know Laban? They're like, yes, well, of course we know Laban. Hey, look, here comes his daughter, Rachel. And he's like, oh. And he sees Rachel and he's like, oh. And they're like, he's like, isn't it time for you guys to leave? I mean, he was trying to get the other shepherds to leave, right? Isn't it time for you guys to water your flock and take them out to the fields? Why don't you guys do that? Well, we, we can't do it yet. We, we have to wait for all the flock to be here, and then we have to get together and roll the stone away. He's like, what? You need to roll the stone away? And just rolls the stone away by himself, right? But he doesn't help them water their flock. He just waters Rachel's flock and was like, hey, lady, Right? Maybe he didn't say it that way. But he saw Rachel coming with her flock. He rolled the stone away himself, a job that usually took three men to do, right? It weighed a few pounds. Some rabbis actually teach that he rolled the stone as someone who removes a stopper from a flask, right? That easy. Just like, pop. He just, moved the, he just moved that stone. You've heard those stories about people coming up on accidents and someone's pinned under a car and a little 98-year-old woman runs over and picks the car up off the person so that they can, they can crawl out from underneath it and saves their life, right? <clears throat> his, he got an adrenaline rush and he moved that stone on his own. And then he kisses her. But this is really just more of a greeting. It's not, it wasn't anything more than that. Custom, customary. He kisses her. He's weeping because he's so excited. He's happy that he's, one, he has arrived in the right place, and two, Rachel is beautiful. This must be who God has for him. This is who he wants to marry, right? So he tells her who he is, right? I'm your cousin, 
I'm from your family. Your father's my uncle. I'm here. I've come. And she's, of course, excited. Goes, it would be customary, actually, for her to run to her mom, but her mom's passed away, so she runs and tells Laban. And, and Laban comes out, and he's like, what? Right? Surely you're my bone and my flesh. And, and he stays with Laban for a month. They're so excited, right? Family has come, come to visit. He recognizes Jacob as his nephew, and he stays with him a, a month. But, but that's where it changes, because after he's been there a month, Laban says, well, listen, if you're going to stick around, you're going to have to become my servant. So what should your wages be? How, you know, what am I going to pay you? If you want to stick around, you've got to work for me. You have to serve me. You never know what kind of servant you are until you have to serve. He says, you're going to have to serve me. What should your wages be? And first, you know, we already know Right? If we, we, we're off screen, we're going, don't trust Laban. Right? But he doesn't really know this. Right? We don't trust Laban. But here's another thing I thought of. Remember when uh, Abraham sent his servant back to get a wife for Isaac? He was adamant about one thing. He says it twice to his servant. He says, don't take Isaac with you. Don't take Isaac with you. No matter the circumstances, don't take Isaac with you. You're not taking Isaac. Don't take Isaac. You can't take Isaac. Do you understand? Yes, don't take Isaac. Okay. Why was he adamant for Isaac not to go? Because Abraham knew something about his family. That's why. Abraham knew something about his family. And he didn't want Isaac to get stuck in a situation very similar to that Jacob's going to get stuck into right now. Because he knew this family probably would try something. He's possibly... It wasn't just a, because, because, you know, you get the idea that Abraham doesn't want Isaac to go because he doesn't want him to leave the promised land, right? This is the land that God gave us. It's going to be passed down to my descendants and his descendants. I can't have him leave. It was more than that, I think. To me, I think Abraham knew that if he goes back to my family and their pagan influences, it could be a problem for him. And I don't want him to get stuck in there. I don't want him to get trapped. I don't want anything to happen that would hinder him getting back to the land of Canaan, to the land of promise. So don't take him. Don't let him go. And he didn't want him to fall into the trap that Jacob's going to fall into now. Right? Right? The deceiver is about to be deceived. So now it tells us that Laban had two daughters. And according to Jewish tradition, what that means is that Rachel and Leah were twins, possibly. And they were in their talk about age difference, they were in their 20s, mid-20s probably. Some people will teach 30s or 40s, but Jewish tradition, a lot of rabbinical teaching, um, and if you've ever heard of the, uh, what's it called, the Mishra, right, the Mishra, which is just sort of like an ancient Jewish commentary on the Torah, uh, they'll, they teach a lot that they're in their 20s, right? We wouldn't let a marriage like that pass today. Uh, unless you're like, you know, movie star billionaire or something like that, and, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis marrying his cousin or something. But, but it's, a, you know, it's, the, it's a different type of a situation. But so Jewish tradition, they're probably in their 20s. And the Midrash says that they were both equal in beauty, okay? They had very similar stature, very similar height, very similar figures. They looked very similar to each other. And the only real difference between the two was their eyes. And it says that Leah's eyes were weak. Now, this is translated many different ways. Some people, means that, some people think it means that her eyes were actually um, 
bad, right? As in she couldn't see very well or something like that. Some people translate it actually, that it means that, because it really what it means is like tender-eyed or possibly dull, but it doesn't mean that she had vision problems. It just means they're a different color possibly than Rachel's. So Rachel had the, uh, you know, dark eyes, brown probably, but maybe Leah's were blue, which would have been a little bit uncommon. Uh, so they wasn't as beautiful as Rachel in that culture, but she was still beautiful, but not as desirable as Rachel was. So Jacob, of course, has fallen in love with Rachel. He likes everything he sees about her. And so he tells Laban, he said, listen, all right, well, if I'm going to stay here and, and you need to pay me, I just came from my family and I didn't leave with a lot of money. And I know that if I want to marry your daughter, I got to have pay a dowry. So how about I work for you? Right? I want to I marry your daughter, Rachel. So I'll serve seven years to marry your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban's like, hey, that's a great idea. Right. Hey, you're, you've already proven you're a great worker. I don't really want to lose that. Right? I can make some, something off of this. I know that you, what family you come from, there's money coming my way for something. So, yes, absolutely. You stay here. I'll let you marry my daughter. This is great. Uh, I'd rather marry Rachel off to you. He doesn't actually say Rachel, but he just says, I'd rather marry her off to you than to someone else. So I'm going to benefit from this somehow. So, yes. Right? And so this is where we start to see the new noble character of Jacob um, emerge. He didn't have any issues with waiting and serving for his true love. You need, you need me to work seven years? I'll work seven years. It's not a problem for me. Yes, I would love to go home and be back with my family if it was safe, but, but I love your daughter. I want to marry her, so I'm going to wait and work for you. I'll be your servant. Seven years, no problem. No problem. All right. I mean, Jacob came from a family of great wealth, but he didn't have a lot of wealth with him when he got there. So he, he knew he needed to work, and he was okay with it. He was fine. Right? He was willing you know, to demonstrate that he was able to support his family and compensate for the taking of the daughter. Working of seven years, no issues for him. He'll go ahead and do it. It says, matter of fact, it says, Jacob served seven years as if it was a few days. Right? Why? Because of his love for Rachel. Ah. Everyone say, ah. Right. Right. He loved Rachel so much that he, seven years was like overnight for him. He didn't even care. Like seven years, this is great. Right? It was so romantic. But then this is where the fun starts. Because those seven years ended and you get the impression from Jacob's comment here to Laban, which is rather forward and kind of bold, uh, that maybe Laban was dragging his feet uh, to a certain degree concerning the marriage. Because he says, um, <laughs> Jacob says to Laban, give me my wife, they may go into her, for my time is completed. Okay, it's a rather bold and frank statement concerning the marriage, Right? He's like, I'm ready. Let's get married. Seven years are over. I'm going to start singing Barry White songs here. Let's, you know, let's get on with this. 
I'm just telling you right now, I was thinking about this statement that Jacob says to Laban. And my daughter's only 11, right? But when my daughter's old enough to be married, if, if someone, like say her fiance or whoever is going to marry her, come to me and ask for her hand in marriage and says this, right? Where's your, give me my, give me your daughter, right? right? I'm going to deck him. I'm not going to, like, we're not going to have a marriage the next day if you come up and speak to me the same way that Jacob just spoke to Laban, right? It was a very bold statement for him to make, but you get the impression that he's saying it that way because Laban was trying to maybe delay what he had promised. Okay. But, so the other thing you have to think of that there was possibly strict social guidelines that had pretty much kept Rachel away from Jacob for seven years. They, they, there's possibility that um, he hadn't even seen her. But Laban, of course, was in no hurry to get rid of such a hard worker like Jacob. He didn't want necessarily for Jacob to leave. Right? So he could delay things as much as he can. But Jacob sort of forces his hand. So Laban, all right, sends out the invites and gathers all the neighbors to the wedding feast and he kicks off the festivities. Yet in the evening, under the cover of darkness... He brings his older daughter, Leah, to Jacob. And Jacob, completely unaware, somehow, consummates the marriage with Leah instead of Rachel. Right? The deceiver gets deceived. The trickster gets tricked. Now, Leah and Rachel, like I said, were, were probably similar in stature. And Leah would have been wearing Rachel's clothing and more than likely covered in Rachel's perfume. And uh, it was dark and she was veiled and... You know, I don't know about candles in the tent and things like that. I, you know, I, I don't know exactly, right? But you have to ask yourself, how is it that he did not know that this was Rachel? And then you have to ask yourself, where was Rachel at this moment? Where was Rachel? There's... Two ways to look at this. One of the ways is you just assume that Leah and Rachel are in on this. They're part of the deception. That, that uh, you know, how did they get to this point without Rachel knowing what was happening and not allowing it to happen? Um, that they aren't some sort of conspirators in everything that's going on. But that's not necessarily... I mean, they could have been forced by their father to... You know, they have to, he's the head of the household. They have to obey him. So they could have been forced by their father to have to do whatever he said. Uh, it's possible he did something drastic like bound Rachel up somewhere so she couldn't come out screaming and trying to break up the ceremonies. You would have thought that Rachel would have been there at the festivities, but not necessarily, okay? Because the festivities would have been mainly men. The women, would, the, the bride specifically would have been brought in later. So it's possible that she wasn't, that it was a normal thing for her not to be there at the festivities. However, there's a couple of different ways to look at it. And these come from uh, the Midrash, which is, like I said, ancient Jewish commentary, or just rabbinical teachings and Jewish tradition. So they say that Laban, you know, that, that Jacob asked for his daughter's hand. That's a deal between Jacob and Laban. So Laban doesn't have to let the daughters know what's going on. He doesn't have to tell them exactly what Jacob said or who Jacob wants to marry. 
Leah possibly might have thought that it was her because she was the oldest and that was custom. The oldest gets married first. Laban, if he never said anything to the contrary, might have just let that go that way. And so Rachel, so Rachel never knew that Jacob wanted to marry her. And Leah assumed it was her and the dad just let it go that way. That's a possibility that he conned his own daughters. Okay. Um, he didn't tell them about the arrangement, that how the, actually what the actual arrangement was. And that kind of goes along with what Leah and Rachel will say later in chapter 31, not to fast forward too much. But Leah and Rachel will say that their father regarded them as foreigners and he sold them and devoured the money. They didn't have kind words to say about their father. So that could play into that, that he deceived his own daughters with this. So that would have meant in the morning when Jacob wakes up and realizes it's Leah. And he was shocked because he thought he was marrying Rachel. That that would have been a shock to Leah as well. What? You mean you wanted to marry my daughter, my sister? Right, so that, that makes things even more tragic when you think about it that way. And that plan would only work, though, if Rachel and Jacob never talked for seven years. Do you understand that? That would only work if Rachel, which seems completely like that, there's no way that, that they had to have talked for seven years. Somewhere in that time they had to have talked. Jacob had to have known, told her that he had arranged, you know, that asked for her hand in marriage and this, he's doing this to, to get her hand in marriage. She had to have known, right? You would have thought. But the thing you have to remember is, culturally speaking, couples did not date. Okay? Marriages were arranged. Jacob had arranged for Laban, arranged with Laban for, for Rachel to be his wife. And, and Jacob would not have been allowed to spend as much time as he wanted with Rachel. There were strict social guidelines to separate unmarried men and women. So it's quite possible that they did not talk for seven years and that she did not know. That is quite possible. It seems odd today for us to look at it that way, but it is possible. Now, another tradition states that Jacob asked Rachel to marry him and that she agreed, but she warned Jacob that her father would probably try and deceive him and that you know, it was customary for the older daughter to be married first. And so she warns Jacob and she tells him, listen, He's going to try, probably try and deceive you, and he's probably going to try to marry you off to my older sister, Leah, because that's custom. So Jacob and Rachel came up with a little plan, and they came up with some sort of signs so that when it came to wedding night, to the wedding night, Jacob would know if it was Rachel that he was with and not Leah. And when the plan unfolded, and it started, you know, when Laban started doing exactly what Rachel feared he would do, um, <clears throat> Rachel then became worried that Leah would be shamed by the deception in the sense that when Jacob found out it was Leah and not Rachel, he, of course, would not marry her. And if he did not marry her, then by law, she would not be allowed to remarry and that she would be shamed. And because of her compassion for her sister and for her love for Jacob, she taught Leah the signs so that she could pass herself off as his Rachel. 
That's another tradition that they teach. Um, truth is, we don't have a clue. Right? We don't really know what happened or how come Jacob didn't know. Some say he was possibly drunk. I mean, there's a lot of wine drinking at the festivities. So he could have been inebriated, right? He could have passed out within 30 minutes. Woke it up, what? You know, like a Vegas wedding. You know, but it, we don't know exactly what happened. Like I said, Rachel and Leah could have been forced into aiding and abetting. Rachel could have been forcibly detained. There's all kinds of different conspiracy theories we can come up with about exactly what happened, about how come he was tricked in something you do not think he would have been tricked in. Right? But the thing to remember is it wasn't just Jacob who was hurt in this. Leah's hurt from Jacob's reaction. Even Rachel's hurt from how this plays out. A lot of people got hurt by this deception. But when he wakes up in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he's quite surprised, as you would expect. And he confronts Laban. He says, what is this that you've done to me? (laughs) Didn't I not work for you for seven years for Rachel? And Laban's deception, of course, towards Jacob is very similar to the deception Jacob pulled on his father, Isaac, and his brother Esau, right? Jacob exchanged the younger for the older, and Laban's exchanging the older for the younger. It's a very similar deception. He fell for it. And Laban has a really weak excuse. And honestly, the whole custom thing is, you know, this is the customs of the cult. This is the customs of our land. This is how we do things here. That's a really weak excuse, because he's like, uh, well, uh, you know, uh, well, we just, uh, we marry off the older first. That's just how it goes here. You should have expected this. Why were you surprised, right? Tell you what, finish the week because after you know you have a, a the marriage ceremony lasts seven days. Finish the week, he says. I'll give you Rachel. Then work another seven years for Rachel. Well, this is where you see the character of Jacob really, how it's changed. Because if he hadn't met God, if he knew, if he hadn't come to know God, what do you think his reaction would have been right now? Who do you think was going to get hurt right about this point? Right? Because there are a lot of things Jacob could have done. A lot of things Jacob could have done here. I mean, he could have taken out Laban. You know, he could have tricked him or deceived him into giving him Rachel somehow. He could have, you know, all kinds of different things that he, I mean, you're this angry about something this important to you. You thought you were marrying Rachel and found out you married Leah. What it shows is that Jacob had already started to grow up into the Lord. You're seeing some maturity here that wasn't present in his earlier life. It tells us in James 1.20 that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What does Jacob do? He says, okay, I'll serve you seven more years, but let me marry Rachel first. And Laban agrees. That's not a normal response to something like this. That's not a normal response. Jacob could have demanded so much, right? He could have thrown a fit. He could have started a fight. He didn't. In humility, he said, okay, I'll work for you for another seven years. I love Rachel this much. I'll work another seven years for you. Right. 
So he marries Rachel's first, his first love, whom he loved more, whom Leah would have known that he loved more. Like I said, think about this. If Leah was tricked in this as well, then this was just as much a surprise to her as it was to him. And now she finds out that he didn't love her at all. She lo- he loved Rachel. But Jacob doesn't shame her or humiliate her in the sense of abandoning her. He just goes through the next seven years so he can re- marry Rachel too. But it's a heartbreaking tale that has just started, and you're going to see how this plays out and about how Leah feels about it. We start going through it more next week, right, when the kids start being born. Because she, she names them some depressing names, really, when you think about it. So next week, we'll find out more about that. Same bat time, same bat channel. But take this with you. Some people will tell you that what Jacob's going through here right now is because he's being punished. And we have that thought process ourselves. We start going through trials. We start going through, you know, tests in our life. We start going through hard times, up and downs of life we go through. We tend to think that when we're going through some of the tough stuff, we think God's punishing us for something. This is punishment for something we did. You know, we we start getting that karma-based mentality. It's not. It's he's not being punished because if he were being punished for all his lying and deception, which the consequences of he he's going to have to live with. Right, discipline and punishment are two different things. If he was being punished by God for all his lying and deception, then why? Why were these years, these 20 years that he serves basically with Laban before he you know, has to escape Laban, so prosperous? Why were they so prosperous for Jacob? He's married. He has kids. He gains wealth. He leaves Haran much wealthier than when he came in. Right? The Lord will use this time to grow him in many different ways, right? He's going to grow him in faith. He's going to grow him in character. And he prospered. He prospered in the Lord. So if he was being punished, then why are these years so prosperous? He wasn't being punished. What this was, and what we're going to continue to see here with Jacob, is a time that, like David Guzik refers to as, Jacob's postgraduate work in the school of difficult experiences which is another way to say he's going through the school of hard knocks, right? The main subject being, of course, and what he's learning is, is that you reap what you sow. It was a time of reaping and sowing for Jacob. See, this idea of reaping and sowing is more than just an agricultural you know, principle. It's a biblical principle for our spiritual lives in, in many different ways. Galatians 6, chapter 6, verse 7 tells us that do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. It's a biblical principle. God doesn't need to punish Jacob because Jacob's going to reap what he sows. God will discipline Jacob, which is what he's doing, basically. 
See, there are natural consequences, and we've been over this. There's natural consequences to our actions. There's no way around it. Every time we choose an action, we also choose, we also, you know, have to live with the consequence as well. We don't necessarily get to choose the consequence. We can choose what we do, but we don't get to necessarily choose the consequence of what we do. So the majority of his life, what had Jacob been doing? Jacob had been sowing deception. He'd been lying and cheating and tricking. And now those seeds are bearing fruit, but not in a good way. Because there's a positive and a negative to sowing and reaping. It tells us, like Proverbs 11, 18, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Right? Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, as it tells us. Right? I mean, Jesus was even really clear on this. Listen, I mean, if you plant apples, seeds, you're going to get apples. Why would you expect anything else? You don't plant apples to get oranges, do you? Right? Those who sow anger should expect to receive what anger naturally produces. Those who sow deception should expect to receive what deception naturally produces. It's a time of sowing and reaping in Jacob's life. But it's not a time that's going to separate him from God. It's a time that's going to bring him closer to God. The consequences of his actions are going to bring him closer to God, and God is going to grow him in his faith and in his character. Galatians 6.8 tells us, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Jacob's going to learn to sow from the Spirit and quit sowing from the flesh. And that's a lesson, a hard lesson to learn. Right? But within it lies our hope, actually. Right? Because God disciplines those he loves. And God loves Jacob. So God's going to put him through this time, this season of sowing and reaping, this time of discipline, so that God can grow him. When Jacob deceived his father and he cheated his brother, right? God didn't change his plan concerning Jacob. He didn't say, well, you know what? I've really kind of had enough of this. I was going to bring a lot of blessings to your descendants, but now I think we're going to change it. Someone over here is much more behaved than you, right? He didn't do that. I was going to give you this reward, but now I'm not going to give you this reward because you're such a little brat. He didn't do that. He didn't change his plans at all with Jacob. Instead, what he did is that he took Jacob to the school of difficult experiences. He took him to the school of hard knocks. And he said, okay, now you're going to learn from this. I'm going to grow you through this. I'm going to discipline you. And you're going to come out with better character and better, stronger faith than when you came in. And what that shows us and where we find our hope is that in our disobedience, we will not derail God's plan for our life. We can't. But it will greatly affect how we experience it. There might be times like Jacob where one might have to spend 20 years working for someone like Laban. Well, God teaches us a few things. Well, God grows us. Well, he shapes us and he molds us. Jacob, right now, during this time, is going to learn to submit to the loving hand of God's discipline, as we should. 
It tells us in Proverbs 21, verse 30, that no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. And that's what Jacob's learning. All is trickery and deceit. You're not going to get away with it against God. He's going to correct you. But he corrects and disciplines those he loves. And he loves Jacob. See, nothing good grows overnight. The farmer's got to be patient, right, in order to see the fruit of his labors. So must we in our lives. Sometimes we get impatient. This is why we try to help God out with things. This is why we run and get ahead of God, because of our impatience. We want to see things grow overnight. He says it doesn't happen that way. God will bring forth fruit to his glory in his time. So we faithfully need to wait patiently while we labor, right? In the due time, we'll reap righteousness. Tells us in Hosea 10, 12, it says, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love. See the idea of sowing and reaping? If you sow righteousness, you're going to reap love. This is what God wants to change in us and in Jacob and all, in all who he loves. It says, break up your fallow ground for it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. So continue to do your work and wait for the coming of the Lord. Right? We see this also in 1 Corinthians 15. And this is very important. It says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown in dishonor is raised in glory. Right? If it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. If it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. God will take what we have sown that's perishable, that was dishonorable, that was our weakness. And through Christ, he's going to raise it imperishable. He's going to raise it glorious. He's going to raise it in power. That's what he wants to do in your life and through your life. That's sowing and reaping. That's sowing and reaping through God and not through the flesh, which is what he's changing in the life of Jacob. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if, if, if we do not give up. Right. Don't give up. Don't give up. Press on. Press on towards the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Press on. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this, Lord. And I pray that you just plant this in our heart, Lord. I pray that you bring forth from us the fruit, Lord, of the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you just continue. Even when we're going through tough times, even in our disobedience, Lord, you just continue to shape us and mold us, even if you have to do it through the school of hard knocks, unfortunately. Some, some of us, that's the only way we learn. But I pray, Lord, that we'll just continue to keep our eyes on you and we'll continue to step out in faith and we'll continue to follow you even though difficulties may arise. We'll know that you are with us and that you are leading us through, that you are shaping us and molding us, that you are growing us in our faith. We'll let you do your work so that we can sow and reap righteousness. We thank you for this, Lord. We pray that you just continue to let us be in the light and the darkness. 
and point people to Jesus. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.